The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I may know to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight. Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. We enter into an interesting season today. Today is the one Sunday that we have in Ascension Tide, the Sunday after the Ascension. On Thursday, we celebrated Jesus being taken up into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. We celebrate next week the coming of the Spirit, the pouring out onto all flesh of the Spirit of God at the Feast of the Pentecost. So today, today is the one day where we sit in that space with the disciples after Jesus has been taken up as they're told to wait. Wait in Jerusalem and you will see, receive power from on high to be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And this movement of the Holy Spirit from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, to the end of Paul's ministry in Rome, that Luke recalls and recites to us in the book we call the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's what we've been journeying through since Easter. This journey, this pilgrimage of the Holy Spirit, today reaches Philippi. The gospel moves from the Middle East to Asia Minor and now into Europe. The first convert in Europe, Lydia, the dyer and seller of purple cloths that, that Paul meets at the place of prayer in Philippi. Our story today starts right after that. But this land, this time of the ascension, this time of waiting, this time of expectation and promise. We've seen that expectation as we've journeyed with Moses and the people of Israel. Are we to the mountain yet? Today we heard the mountains in sight. We've heard the promise, you will receive, you will be my people, a chosen nation a royal priesthood. You will be. And yet we wait. 
another week. We'll see later as the people of Israel journey, they come from the mountain of Sinai to the edge of the promised land. They send spies in. They go and they say, this is a glorious land. And yet the people there are far too strong for us. This place of promise is also a place of choice. This place that we live in of the already and not yet. The angels of the Lord in Luke's account remind us to notice where our eyes are at the tomb as the women come to prepare Jesus. The tomb is open. Jesus is risen. And the two men, clothed in glorious white, say, why do you look for the living among the dead? At the ascension, Jesus rises into the heavens. And the disciples are standing there in awe. And the two men, clothed in glorious white, come and say, Why do you continue to stare up into the heavens? The one who ascended will come again from whence he came. Where are your eyes? Why do you look and see the challenge and not the promise? Why do you look and see that these men are great? And wonder if they're greater than God. As we've walked through Acts, we've asked, why do you look for life amongst the culture of death? Why do you look for light in the middle of the darkness? Why do you look for the kingdom of God to be manifest in the ways of the kingdoms of this world? Today we look and we ask, why do you look for freedom in the ways of bondage? Paul and Silas come into Philippi. They've met and they founded this church in the house of Lydia. As they walk through the streets, a girl possessed by a spirit of divination calls out in truth, listen to these men. They are servants of the Most High God. They tell you the way of salvation. A slave girl, doubly bound, in bondage, to the spirits of this world in bondage to the people of this world. She proclaims the truth. These men are indeed servants of the Most High God. The things that they say are the things of salvation, the things of healing and hope. She says this, but bound by the spirit of this world, she is unable to participate. Luke tells us Paul becomes annoyed. He becomes annoyed at her proclamation. I think he becomes annoyed at her bondage. He turns and he says, come out of her, you evil spirit. And at that very hour, she is freed spiritually. Yet she remains in bondage to men. You see... The clash of kingdoms is not just the clash of kingdoms in the realm that we see, but also in the spiritual realm. The spirit of divination proclaims truth yet without love. It proclaims a truth without healing, a truth without hope. It proclaims bondage in the midst of bondage. 
we too are often in bondage to a small t truth, a truth of facts, a truth of what we want to see, a truth of our culture that claims to be able to summarize everything that's important in 144 characters, a truth that tries to oversimplify and bring solutions to problems that don't exist so that we can ignore the problems that do exist. We try to compress the difficult and complex things that threaten us into something that we can fix if only those people would do what we want. The clash of kingdoms between the small T truth and the big T truth of Christ invites us to see the spiritual forces that are at work as well. But Paul, Paul proclaims freedom. Freedom from spiritual oppression in the mighty name of the Christ. But this freedom comes at a cost. Just as we journeyed with Israel through, through the wilderness, they look back and see the cost of their freedom. No longer do they sit around the flesh pots of Egypt eating their fill of meat and leeks. No longer do they have homes, but they wander in tents. No longer do they have water at the Nile, but they wander in a desert. Freedom comes at a cost. Faith comes at a cost. We let go of that which is comfortable and holds us in thrall to grasp what is hope, what is healing, what is life. But free from spiritual bondage, this girl is still a slave. And her owners, seeing that their hope for gain was gone, reveal the way in which they were also in bondage. The bondage that comes when we see others as objects rather than as beloved children. When we see others as something to be exploited for our own personal gain or pleasure. And it's tempting to think of this as some archaic way of thinking. Something that happened in the first century, but we don't see it all today. Slaves. Spirits. All of that old stuff that went away. But what if we look at the ways in which we depersonalize and dehumanize others? As a manager, as a cog in the corporate wheel, I could talk about tasks and skills and full-time equivalents as a way of separating myself from the actual individual people that do the work. It makes it much easier to hire and fire. It makes it much easier to say, why can't you do all of that? If they're only tasks and not people. And as I look at the tragedy of war that we can observe on the news daily, I find myself cheering the spectacular explosions, the turrets flipping through the air, the drone footage saying, yes, yes. Until I look back and realize that there are people whose lives were lost in those very explosions that I cheer. 
the likes and follows and friends of our virtual world easily deceive us into making objects of the digital avatars of ourselves and of others. Even our entertainment in movies and television and video games desensitizes us from the grim reality of death, making shooting, killing, torture, violence, and death no longer a tragedy but a sport. As we look beyond the news and see our political debate, the elections devolve rapidly into name-calling so that we can demonize those who hold an opposing view, make them something less than human, a liberal or a conservative. If we're brave enough to look, we can see the ways in which we lose our own identities as we place ourselves in this battle of us versus them. In Philippi, the men go to the rulers and magistrates and declare, these men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They're disrupting the ways that we do things. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. This is the way of idolatry. The way of seeking identity, worth, and value in something less than as a beloved child of God. And this idolatry, this way of idolatry is deceptively alluring. We establish an idol of a cultural identity that separates us from others. Jew, Roman. We sell ourselves into bondage to this image and the cultic rituals of our idolatry. We use our idol to dehumanize those who are different, and in doing so, we dehumanize ourselves. Those disturbing and disruptive things that they are doing are quite simply un-Roman. Or maybe they're un-American. Or to the degree that we're willing to look at ourselves, the way that we've allowed the church to become a corporate structure devoid of the body and love of Christ. We might look and say, those things that they are doing are unchristian. We make ourselves captive. We sell ourselves into the bondage of dehumanization. You know, this is the irony of the clash of kingdoms. Those who think themselves masters, those who see themselves as powerful, when I think I'm in control, in fact, these are the times when we are least free. Luke emphasizes this irony as he tells us the imprisonment of Paul and Silas. Even in chains, Paul and Silas are in prayer, and they proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God to their fellow prisoners. And then as the earthquake, or perhaps the spirit, opens the doors and looses the chains. We see the jailer, the one in control, captive to the culture of death, drawing his own sword to take his own life. 
But Paul, the prisoner, calls out, and the jailer recognizes that it is the one who he holds in prison who has the power of freedom. The jailer calls to the prisoner, tell me what I must do to be free. What must I do to be made whole? What must I do to be saved? Paul replies, place your trust, your hope, your loyalty, your very identity in Christ Jesus. And you will indeed be made whole. You will be made free in your true identity as a beloved child. And so, on this Sunday in Ascension time, the time that we remember the edge of promise, that edge of promise where we wait, where we wait for the outpouring of the Spirit, where we wait to enter the promised land, where we wait to see Jesus return in the same way that he went up. In this time where we remember the clash of kingdoms, we also remember that promise that we rehearse each week in the creed, that Christ will come again in glory, telling us the difference between life and death, judging in us the ways of life and the ways of death. And on this Sunday, we come to this table after a difficult week. It's a difficult week to watch in the news. Perhaps it was a difficult week for you personally. Our eyes have been drawn to see the bondage of the kingdom of darkness. We've seen a young man so deceived and held captive by lies that in some way that's hard for us to even fathom, shooting and killing young children was not only acceptable, but desirable. We've had the revelation yet again in a major denomination of the Christian world of a list of those who are abusive that's held in secret that some person decided it was better for them to go ahead and hurt people than to suffer the embarrassment of the brand. These stories remind us that in our communities and even in our churches, we are not immune to the ways in which the kingdom of darkness entices us and tries to hold us in bondage. I've talked with several people this week who are discouraged and no longer see the ways of freedom within the church. I don't have answers to their deep questions about how can someone who claims to follow Jesus do this? that. I don't have the step-by-step -step solutions to the very serious and complex problems that we face in our culture today. Poverty, 
injustice, violence, and oppression in all of its various forms and deceptions. However, I am more and more convinced that the truest, most loving, and most freeing thing that I say is this is the body of Christ given for you. I pray today that as you come to this table, you will hear the capital T truth contained in these words. That you will experience the love that is manifest in Christ in his kingdom. The love which darkness cannot overcome. I pray that you will deeply know that you are a beloved child of the living God. And I pray that in this, our eyes will be opened and our hearts will be set free, that we may truly see all those that we encounter this week in the fullness of their identity as beloved children of the living God. I pray that we will have the words of peace that bring healing and freedom to all who are held captive. And I pray all this in the mighty name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.